Sunday, the 31st of May 2020, will go down in history as the day that America stopped relying on the Russians and the Soyuz spacecraft to get them to the International Space Station, to get their astronauts up there. It will be remembered as the day they succeeded in launching two astronauts to the International Space Station aboard a privately designed and owned rocket. So the spacecraft is called the Crew Dragon. It was designed and developed in close consultation, I should add, with NASA. The rocket, of course, is the Falcon 9, which is a tried and tested workhorse, which has launched lots of satellites and also supply missions without humans to the ISS over the years. Uh, but what a huge success. It's gone flawlessly. It's delivered two astronauts to the space station for, I think, about a two-month stay up there. They've joined uh, two Russians and an American who are already on board. The two NASA astronauts are Robert Benkin and Douglas Hurley. They were given the opportunity to name the craft they're on board, the Crew Dragon. They decided to call it Endeavour. That was after the space shuttle in fact it was the penultimate mission of the space shuttle program launching in may 2011 from the same pad 39a that the spacex falcon 9 carrying the crew dragon departed from there's a 20-year lease that's been signed by spacex to use that historic pad which was also used all those years ago for the Apollo Saturn V launches, uh, as well as the Space Shuttle. Really a very historic day, and it all went very smoothly. They did have some weather delays, uh, which cost them a bit of time on the launch pad, and then finally they were able to take off. Various companies doing this, and various organizations that have been doing it. As I mentioned, the Russian Soyuz has been the way to space for humans. Uh, since the space shuttle retired for American astronauts and cosmonauts from Russia. Indeed, anyone, any of the crew from Europe, Japan or elsewhere who have spent time on board the International Space Station, they've all taken the Soyuz there. And the costs of riding on the Soyuz have been going up. So back in the uh, in around 2011-2012, it was costing about 20 million US dollars per seat but those costs have risen steadily to be up to 90 million US dollars today. So really a very expensive way of getting into space. Aboard the Crew Dragon, the costs do come down because the Falcon 9 booster that takes the Crew Dragon to low Earth orbit, the first stage of that is recyclable, so it detaches from the upper stages and it uh, returns to Earth and lands, uh, often on a barge. It can land on land as well. Cape Canaveral it has in the past, but uh, I think usually it, it lands on a drone ship that's sitting out near the Atlantic. It did so after its most recent launch. It, it landed on the drone ship safely. Uh, that drone ship called, of course, I Still Love You. So there's some significant savings to launching on board a a privately funded and privately developed spacecraft. It only had two seats used this time. It did carry some additional cargo for the ISS, but it can actually seat up to seven people, although apparently NASA is only likely to use four seats at a time. 
there are other purposes that uh, SpaceX has in mind for the Crew Dragon. Uh, one is to uh, encourage space tourism, and there are plans to repurpose parts of the International Space Station for things like tourism uh, and for commercial companies, uh, private companies that want to use the facilities up there for commercial projects. That's something that NASA is, is uh, really encouraging. Um, and so this is, this is a change in direction. This is an acknowledgement by NASA and uh, authorities in America uh, that a, a private-public space partnership is the way to go. There are plans to use SpaceX technology, SpaceX rocket, to facilitate, to help in that, uh, that bigger project they've got to put humans back on the moon, uh, possibly to one of the poles of the moon by 2025, which is really not that far off and a lot of things have to happen and fall into place and be funded for that target to be met. But this success of the Crew Dragon in safely delivering astronauts to the ISS is a very significant milestone in that wider project, and that wider objective. Now, just a few things about the design of Crew Dragon. It actually has seats that are derived from the, the seats in Formula One racing cars. It has touchscreens, unlike the Space Shuttle, which had literally thousands of switches in a very complicated cockpit area. This is a much cleaner interface between the astronauts and the spacecraft. It is a completely autonomous system, but it does accommodate manual override for emergency situations. And in fact, on the approach to the ISS on Sunday the 31st, astronauts did take control in fairly close proximity, within a few hundred metres of, of the ISS, they did actually override the automatic controls and fly Crew Dragon uh, manually. But that is uh, unusual. Uh, most of the function of and navigation and manoeuvring is done automatically. And it has a series of very clear, elegant, large touch screens, directly accessible by the astronauts. In fact, their seats can adjust to get them closer to those screens and also put them in the right orientation for when they're being launched. And those screens allow them to control everything, to see where they are, to see the view through cameras, to dock at the ISS. There's also some windows which allow a view out of the Crew Dragon. The spacesuits that they're wearing, you might recall that the astronauts who went to the moon, their spacesuits were uh, notoriously uncomfortable and quite restrictive of movement, whereas these new space suits were designed by Elon Musk, who worked with very closely with a, um, a Hollywood costume designer by the name of Jose Fernandez, so that they were thinking about function and, and comfort and safety. Uh, those, those things were important, but also the look of them. They're a very um, modern suit, and they uh, look like something straight out of science fiction different suits there, different seats. Uh, the spacecraft itself is quite spacious and very elegantly designed, very simple inside. That contrasts with some of the other competitive spaceships which are under development. Boeing has human spacecraft capable of carrying up to seven crew, but again, like the Crew Dragon, NASA will only use up to four of those seats. The interior, the control systems that the astronauts use to interface with the spacecraft, that's the Boeing Starliner, are far more complicated. They're more like your old school space shuttle style controls, lots and lots of switches, doesn't use touchscreens in the way that the Crew Dragon does. 
the Boeing Starliner is designed for 10 reuses in mind, whereas the Crew Dragon can be reused for cargo, but not at this stage to be reused for carrying passengers, human passengers. So I guess that's for safety reasons, safe to use a brand new machine once for taking humans, thereafter safe for, for transporting uh, cargo or other material up, up to low earth orbit. And there's various other companies that are also providing extra capacity in this area for NASA. They're American private companies, Blue Origin. They have a spacecraft called the New Glenn, which is under developments owned by Jeff Bezos of uh, Amazon fame. They're developing a spacecraft. They're well on, on the way and they have contract with NASA to use that. There's also the Virgin Galactic reusable spacecraft to take tourists to low Earth orbit. And then, of course, there's the Soyuz, which has been in service since the 1960s, but um, is showing its age. It doesn't have that reusability that the Boeing Starliner and the SpaceX Crew Dragon have. And then there's also the Chinese who have developed their own method of getting their taikonauts or Chinese astronauts to orbit as well. In fact, the Chinese have their own space station, although it is much smaller and not as sophisticated as the International Space Station, which has an interior space around the size of a 747 commercial airliner. Total area, if you include the solar arrays, is about the size of a football field. So a very large object. But I guess the most important thing about this is, is it's a really historic day in the sense that America is now back in the business of being able to send astronauts to space. I think it was always, it always grated on a lot of people and was a, a, a matter of quite considerable concern and a bit of a blow to national pride in America that the country that had, had put people on the moon back in the 1960s and early 70s, that country lacked the capability of putting humans into space for from 2011 until 2020. A glaring hole in America's space capability has finally been filled. There's a little bit more on the SpaceX Falcon 9. It's a reusable two-stage rocket. It's had 83 launches, uh, 44 landings, where the first stage has been recycled. Out of those 44 landings, 31 of those uh, stage ones have been reflown on other missions. So it does bring down the costs. This was one of the key factors of the of the system of the SpaceX has developed. It was always an integral part. They needed to succeed with that reflying of rockets because it saved a lot of money. It drove down the cost of access to space. And of course, the first stage is the most expensive part of the rocket. It's 70 meters high. Uh, the Falcon 9 is a diameter of uh, 3.7 meters, a mass of nearly 550 thousand kilograms for the whole machine payload 22,800 kilograms to low earth orbit a payload to mars of just over 4,000 kilograms so uh, spacex is developing much bigger rockets it's got a, it's got the falcon heavy which is basically three falcon nines combined into one so the central core of a falcon nine with two extra falcon nines attached to the sides of it that's been successfully demonstrated a few times now and famously on its first mission it launched a Tesla Roadster into space. In fact, it's somewhere out in the solar system having uh, gone past Mars. 
But there is also a much bigger rocket under development by SpaceX, the Starship, and this is for accessing the moon, Mars and beyond. It's a fully reusable transportation system designed to carry both crew and cargo to Earth orbit, the moon and Mars. Uh, It will be the most powerful launch vehicle ever developed with the ability to carry in excess of 100 metric tons to Earth orbit. Uh, It will be a, a gigantic rocket, bigger than a Saturn V moon rocket, 120 metres or 394 feet in height, diameter of 9 metres, and uh, as I mentioned, a payload um, of over 100 metric tonnes to low Earth orbit, could deliver large satellites, and uh, can also provide transportation to Mars. And it will be using a newly developed Raptor engine, uh, which is a a reusable uh, Methalox Uh, staged combustion engine that powers the Starship launch system. These uh, Raptor engines began flight testing on the Starship prototype rockets in July 2019. Those Raptor engines are going to be key to getting the Starship into business and, and getting it flying as intended. There have been some setbacks in the development of that, and there was recently a, a large pad explosion, no one injured, during a testing of that system. According to NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine, when speaking to the crew of Endeavour that had just docked, the Crew Dragon spacecraft, Bridenstine told the crew from Mission Control in Houston, the whole world saw this mission, and we are so, so proud of everything you've done for our country, and in fact, to inspire the world. This represents a transition in how we do spacecraft from the United States of America. NASA is not going to purchase, own and operate rockets and capsules the way we used to. We're going to partner with commercial industry. This model is going to apply when we go to the moon. When we go to the moon, we're going to land on the surface of the moon with commercial landers. All of this is leading up to an amazing day when we have humans living and working for long periods of time on the surface of the moon and doing it with a purpose. And that purpose, of course, is to go to Mars. So there you have it. NASA will provide the science expertise. Uh, It'll train the astronauts. It will be a customer of uh, the commercial space sector, a growing part of the US economy and elsewhere in the world. Europe has a a large space sector. European Space Agency is a large organization. JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, is also very active with its own satellites and rockets. The Chinese are increasingly developing their space capabilities. The Indians have an orbiter around Mars. Rockets are being launched regularly from the North Island of New Zealand out over the Pacific Ocean. Australia now has its own space agency. There is talk of you know, rekindling and growing our own space capabilities. Most active back in the 1960s and early 70s with the Woomera test range. There were rockets once launched from Australia and satellites. All that was allowed to stop. So there's hopes in Australia as well that they can participate in this uh, coming golden age of space exploration, that partnership uh, between the private sector and governments around the world. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.